Good morning. Welcome to WCF. So glad that you are here this morning. All of you that are joining us by, by uh, online, we welcome you as well. We're so glad you're with us as, we've, as we gather as a family and our Father and um, our Lord Jesus and to worship him. This morning, we're going to start off by declaring God's word together. So I invite you to stand and uh, read with me some uh, verses from Psalm chapter 24 and encourage you to uh, read them from your depths of your being as an act of worship this morning. And then we're going to get into worshiping God through song. Here we go. Let's read together. The The earth earth is the Lord's and and all it contains, the world and those who dwell dwell in it. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who is the king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He He is is the the King King of of Glory. His name is also the Lion and the Lamb. Let's worship him together. One, two, three.
turn to that person next to you and say, no matter what kind of week you've had, God's got it. He's Lord. We love you. Good morning. (laughs) And then you can be seated. Let's go ahead and let's pray and, and as we continue to worship through giving and, and music and study of God's Word. God, we thank You. You are great and mighty. It, it, it blows my mind how good You are to us and how gracious You are to us. And, and Lord, even as we study today in Acts 20, as, as Paul gets ready to leave and gives a farewell address to the leaders of the church, we'll see his heart and his passion. And Lord, may we be passionate like Paul in, in reaching the, the least and the lost, the marginalized, and caring for them as vigilant shepherds. Lord, we, we need to do that. As we worship you, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would move in our hearts, change us, mold us into the image of Christ, and receive these offerings and these gifts from the givers, that your kingdom would continue to, to be uh, established here on earth as it is in heaven, that needs are met, missionaries are taken care of, and all of the things that are going on. Lord, we praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen to the lyrics of this song. I believe you give sight to the blind. I believe that the dead came to life. I believe there were wonders and signs.
I will tell of your wonders, sing of your grace. God of
mercy, His love, they're running after us. He wants us to have them so much.
a joy it is to have hope, to have our faith and trust put in you. You are that king of glory. You are the king of glory. The king of glory that is mighty in battle, that that, uh, goes out before us and paves the way. Not only does that, but you actually have taken your armor and you've put it on us and allowed us to wear your suit so that we can quench every fiery dart, so that we can stand in faith, so that we can be firm in our knowledge and understanding of you and the salvation that you've given us. You are the lamb that was slain. You are a redeemer. You are the lion of Judah that's worthy of all honor, glory, and praise. You have been so good to us. And as Psalm 23 says, your your grace and your mercy, they follow us. Allowing us to dwell in your presence each and every day. So God, we are grateful people. And we realize that without you, we can do nothing. But through you, by you living inside of us, we can do all things through Christ. We are more than conquerors. And we know whom we have believed in and am persuaded that you will keep us until that day that you come and return for us. So, Father, we lean on you. Jesus, we lean on all of your gifts. Send our worship time through song. Make this your prayer. Oh, I'm leaning. I'm leaning. I'm safe and secure. open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 20 as we continue our study in the book of Acts, picking up on verse 17. How do you feel about change? (laughs) You're like, I don't like it. Yeah, it depends on what kind it is. Some people like change. Other, Other people, they avoid it. Change often means that that you're entering into an area that's unknown. You, you, you don't get it. You don't like it. Change of leadership is a bit scary. Uh, whenever people have change in their life, they it's hard. And when you say goodbye to someone you've trusted in, someone who's been a leader for you for a long period of time, it, it's difficult. It's scary. It's sad. By the way, I'm not going anywhere. At least today. 
<laughs> who knows what the Lord's got for me tomorrow, but I don't know. But when you say, you know, saying goodbyes is really tough. It's really tough because that leader has been out in front. They've been taking you on a journey and, and you've been following them and you haven't really had to do a whole lot of worry because that leader's been, been out in front and managing all of the situations and the circumstances. But as a leader, you're out in front and you're leading and, and I can guarantee you this, you're not going to lead forever. At some point in time, you're going to have to step down from that position of leadership whether it's in your family or your business or whatever the cases are, because no one lives forever. When we take a look at this, this idea of leadership, we've got to take a look at what is the leader leaving? Well, a good leader is going to leave a legacy of ministry, a legacy of doing things in the same manner, in the same confidence that they were doing it in. The leader should be training the next generation to pick up where they left off so that it could continue. It's been said, think about your legacy. Because it's being written every day. Every day you're writing your legacy. Every day. Well, you might say, well, Carrie, I'm old. Is it too, too late to start as a legacy? No, it's not. Consider Paul, who was a Pharisee among Pharisees, and all of these things. And he really didn't start serving the Lord until later in his life. And we're going to read about his legacy. Is it ever too early? No. You young people, start realizing that you're, you're beginning to leave a legacy. I've been in ministry 35 years now. I've been blessed to be able to be in ministry that long. And I watched some of the, some of the young people that were that were under the ministry and children's ministry and all that kids that were in my ministry that are now serving the Lord and continue to serve the Lord and that's a legacy and it's a blessing to look back and and realize that they're continuing on Peter Strofe once said legacy is not leaving something for people it's leaving something in people it's not leaving something for people don't worry about what inheritance you're going to leave your grandkids. They'll blow it. Invest in them. Billy Graham said this, The greatest legacy one can pass on to his children and grandchildren is not money or material things accumulated in one's life, but rather legacy of character and faith. That is what is going to matter. Leaving that legacy. We invest in kids. Why? Because they're the next generation, and we should. We invest in people. Why? Because someday we're gone, and they need to continue that work within this. And as a Christ follower, it's just as important what you leave behind and, and how you live in your faith and you pass on to that next generation. This idea is not new. It's, it's seen in Scripture. When we take a look at different people, Abraham left a legacy of faith for the whole nation of Israel. Jacob left a legacy, Jacob being Israel, left his legacy to his, his sons in Genesis 49. Joshua, in Joshua 23, 24, after he got the people into the land, 
left them a legacy and say, look, at this is how ministry goes. Continue on. Samuel, in his farewell message in 1 Samuel 12, left a farewell message and a legacy for the nation of Israel. Jesus gave a farewell ministry message and, and left a legacy of ministry for the disciples in Luke 22 and John 13. Leaving that legacy is really leaving a pattern of living. You write that legacy every day for the next generation. That when you're gone, they don't have to say, I don't know what to do. They'll say, I know exactly what to do because I've been shown what to do. I've been shown how to live. I've been shown how to follow the Lord. We need to leave a solid legacy of ministry within the next generation. Because life is going to get harder and Satan is going to ramp up. And if we do not equip the next generation, they are going to suffer. And they are going to enter into a time, or, or even worse, they'll fall away and not know the Lord. It is up to us to continue. And that's what Paul is doing here in Miletus. We last left Paul in his journey to Jerusalem. If you remember, he had gone through Macedonia and Corinth and he had gathered all the funds and he was traveling back towards Jerusalem. And he had sailed and hit all the ports and now he's in Miletus. The ship is going to be there for five days and he had he'd sent message to the elders in the city of Ephesus just 30 miles to the north to come down because he needed to have a talk. Because he anticipated he would never see them again. And these would be the last words that he would say to them. He wanted to empower just the, the elders, the leaders, because he was going to pass off the responsibility of the church of Ephesus to these elders. That they needed to continue the ministry that, that he began and spent so much time that was there. And one, one of the things that we find in this is a challenge. The challenge is this. What happens... When a personality-driven ministry has a change of leadership and the personality that was driving that ministry is no longer there, will the ministry continue? We can think of great men like Billy Graham. Would Billy Graham Evangelistic Association continue? Well, yes, because we know that Franklin Graham has picked up the baton. We know that they've invested in other people. But I know of other ministries, great ministries and pastors that have led great churches, large churches, but when that pastor leaves, the church falls apart. The pastor needs to leave the leg a legacy of ministry, but the congregation needs to pick it up. And they need to understand their role. It's not on the personality, nor should it be, but he should equip the saints for the work of the ministry and continue on. And that's what Paul gives us, this pattern of how to do that, how to transition well within that. Let's stand as we read through this passage here in Acts chapter 20, verses 17, all the way down to 38. This is Paul's farewell message. It's, it's the third of three speeches that he gives uh, in the book of Acts. It says, And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called to him, the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia how I was with you the whole time, 
serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials, which came upon me through the plots of the Jews, and how I didn't shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly from house to house. Solemnly testifying to both the Jews and the Greeks of repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, bound by the Spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. Except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that the bonds and afflictions await me. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching in the kingdom will no longer see my face. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all men, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day, and for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one of you with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no man's silver or gold or clothes. You yourselves know that these hands minister to my own needs and to the men who were with me. In everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, that he said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. When he had said these things, he knelt down and he prayed with them all. And they began to weep aloud and embraced Paul and repeatedly kissed him, grieving especially over the word which he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they were accompanying him to a ship. May God bless the reading of his word. You be seated. So one of the things that we first see is the fact that a legacy of ministry is really an investment in others. It's investing into the lives of other people. Coming to church and being part of a ministry and part of a fellowship, while you benefit from it, you need to be a benefit for other people. You need to encourage other people. Now we pick up in verse 17, which is kind of one of those transition verses that tells us that from Miletus he sent to the, to the elders in Ephesus, that 30 miles up. And if you remember, he didn't go to Ephesus, even though he spent close to three years there. He didn't go there. Why? Because he was driven to get to Jerusalem to bring the finances to the, the believers in Jerusalem that were being persecuted. He needed to get the donation money there. And if he goes to Ephesus, then he's going to get hung up with all the people and seeing them. So what does he do? Well, he needs the elders to come down so he can have this last conversation. Why? Because it was Paul's determination that he probably would not ever see them again. These were the last words that he needed to be able to share with them. And so as the ship was preparing for this long trip that would end up in Tyre and then go to Caesarea Maritima, and then he would go across into land into Jerusalem... He would send for the elders on the first day. They would get there, rally the elders, and it would take another, another day back. So this would have been about day three that they come. Why the elders? 
Because the elders are the overseers of the flock. In the, in the economy of the Bible, when we take a look at biblical leadership, there are only two offices. There are elders and deacons. Elders are the, the episcopos. They're the, they're the ones that are the spiritual overseers. And then the deacons are the functional doers. So when we take a look at the church, there should only be two classes. There should be the elders and the deacons that are there. The spiritual uh, overseers that are, that are teaching and giving oversight and, and all of these things. And then the deacons that do the work. In fact, it wasn't until 2nd century A.D. that the concept of bishops and church structure started coming in with Ignatius. Where they started coming up with, okay, you got elders and deacons and regional and all of these other things. That was never the intent or the, or the structure within the church. Each local church had its own elders. And keep in mind, in the early church, they weren't meeting in big buildings like this, but they were meeting in houses. So it was highly probable that there would be spiritual leaders that would be over certain house churches. House churches might be 10, 15 people within the house church. So you'd have a, a bunch of house churches and, and the spiritual leaders would help out and say, okay, well, you've got you know, these three houses and you've got these three houses and you've got these three houses to be able to minister to that. We don't even know that structure completely, but we know that it would have been a multiple group of elders that were teaching within these small house churches within this. So in verse 18, it tells us that they show up, they had come to him and he started talking to them and addressing them Within this, we know that Paul first got into Ephesus around 51-52 A.D. This address would have been about 54 to 55 A.D. that they were that they were coming in. So we spent a good amount of time, about three years, of training them, which I I feel is kind of a good model for spiritual leader and training because that's what Jesus did with the disciples. About three years, and you should be ready to go. And, and so within this, you all should be elders about now, right? We look at this, and so within this, Paul addresses them, but I think it's important for us to understand that as he addresses them, there are different parts of the legacy of ministry that he leads out in. First and foremost, Paul leaves a legacy of humility. If you look at verse 18, he says, You yourselves know from the first day I set foot to Asia, I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all what? Humility. Humility. This idea of serving, dulo, it's, it, it's a bondservant. Paul saw himself as a bondservant. And it was the position of humility. An elder, a biblical elder, is not one that rules hard over the people or is an elitist. But he's the servant. The elder, the biblical elder, should be first in and last out. Should work hard and never, never operate from a position of entitlement. But have that position of humility to understand that you are who you are. Nothing more, nothing less. Not puffed up because you have a title or, or to font your, your, your degrees and all of these things. You are just the servant of the Lord for these people, but you're their spiritual overseer within them. Humility is a key element within biblical leadership in, in every aspect and, and in leaving that legacy. People, they want to hear you, but they want to hear you if you're speaking from a heart of love and compassion. In Philippians 2.3 it says this, Do nothing 
from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, note, regard one another as more important than yourself. That's the concept on humility. You're more important than me. I want to serve you. In fact, I, am, I, I want to teach you how to serve others by serving you first. And that's the role of a biblical elder within this. The other element of, of leaving a legacy of ministry is a legacy of sacrifice within this. This suffering. Suffering is a byproduct of that leadership of putting others first because it's going to cost you. You're going to suffer and process. Paul says this. He says, with humility, with tears and trials. Do you realize Paul didn't have to do this? But God moved him to do this. If you're going to serve others, it's going to cost you. Serving others in, in, in such a way that it's going to cost you time. You think about how a mother cares for a child and that, that service, that act of service, staying up all night with the child that's throwing up or has got a fever or sleeping on the floor with them in the bathroom while the kid is sick, while the dads are laying in their bed all comfy and cozy. I know that never happens in your house. But you look at that. It, 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 is, it, it costs to be a servant, to be an elder. To suffer for the sake of others really is following Christ. It's, it's all about living the selfless life. Paul says that he was suffering in trials. And he was going around. He could have stayed in Jerusalem. He was a premier apostle. And he could have dictated from afar all the things that needed to be done. But no, he went. And he was in the line. And the Jews were continually attacking him, threatening him in his life. But later on in verse 24 of the same chapter, Paul writes this, or says this, But I don't consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course in the ministry which I received from the Lord, to testify solemnly the gospel of the grace of God. In other words, he was serving the Lord by serving others. By dedicating himself. Do you, do you serve in such a way that it's a sacrifice to you? Well, I know that family has need, but let me see if it fits into my schedule. Make it fit into your schedule. Well, I'm sorry, I need to sleep in. Get up early. Do what needs to be done. The ministry of sacrifice and service means saying no to the things of yourself and yes to the needs of others and to these elders. A third element is this legacy of proclamation, as Paul would say. With tears I came upon and, and, and the plots of the Jews. And notice in verse 20 how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and the teaching of you publicly and from house to house, the ministry of proclamation, the legacy of proclamation. Sometimes it's really hard to tell people what they need to hear, isn't it? When you have to have that hard conversation, but leaving a legacy of honesty and going to people in love to shrink back. The word there, shrink, is a sailing term, and it means to lower the sails as if you were coming into port. To drop the sails to slow down. He says, I didn't shrink back. I didn't slow down. I didn't hold back. How did Paul live his life? Full steam ahead. 
Did he hold anything back? No. If you needed to know it, he told you. Why? Because it is profitable for you. In this day and age of being politically correct, and dare I say woke, and all the other junk that goes on, I challenge you, if you want to change the legacy and trajectory of the next generation, speak the truth in love. Don't hold back. Because those words that you speak to them may be the last words that they need to hear. Paul didn't hold back on teaching the Word. He gave it to them. And, and he did it both publicly and privately. He taught faithfully house to house. Daily in the hall of Tyrannius. In the city of Ephesus. An ungodly city full of idolatry and, and, and idol worship and lasciviousness and all of that. And he didn't hold back. Why? Because these are words that they needed to know that would change the trajectory of their life. And so within this, Paul is speaking, I didn't hold back. In fact, it's interesting to me that he did this in the contrast and in the face of all the false teachers of Ephesus and all of the cultists that were present. He didn't hold back within that. And he preached without prejudice, which is a fourth element of this legacy. He preached without prejudice. You say, well, what do you mean? I'm not prejudiced. Unfortunately, we have a, a negative connotation within this, but, but there is a sense of prejudice that we can have. Paul preached to both the Jew and the Greek the same. In the Near East culture, there were two classifications from the Jewish mindset. There were the Jews, the chosen people of God, and then there were everybody that wasn't a Jew. Gentiles. And Paul included them all in the plan of God of salvation. He didn't hold anything back. He preached without prejudice. What would that look like today? Sharing the gospel with your Christian brothers and sisters is a good thing. But do you share with the same emphasis the gospel to those that are sleeping in a box or are under a bridge or on the street? Preach without prejudice. Share the gospel to those that know the Lord, that are easy to speak to, and equally share the Lord with those that are hard to speak with, within this. Paul was an evangelist to the Gentiles. He knew that that was his calling. The other side of it is he never abandoned the Jews. Do you remember, what was Paul's pattern when he would go set churches? What did he do? Where did he go first? He went to the what? To the synagogues. But he was called to go to the Gentiles. Well, if, if, if your scope of practice is the Gentiles, then why are you going to the Jews? Because he never abandoned the Jews. And he went to them first. Why? Because God is the God of all. Romans chapter 3, verse 29. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of the Gentiles also. God is the God of all. Biblical leadership and biblical eldership and leaving a legacy is going everywhere, preaching the gospel to everyone without prejudice, with a heart of humility, to the point of tears if necessary, both publicly and privately, so that they will hear the gospel. It's time to, for the church to get out of the silo.
and to get into the place where we're ministering to everyone. This legacy of ministry does focus, though, on preaching. We can feed the, the hungry, we can give shelter to the poor, but if we're not giving them Jesus, then what are we doing? They need Jesus. They need that, that spiritual legacy that will continue on. Verses 23 to 27, Paul goes on in speaking to them with, within this, or I'm sorry, 22 on, and, and so within this, he says, And now behold, bound by the Spirit, I'm on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what's going to happen, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testified me in every city, saying the bonds of affliction weigh me, and I don't consider my life anything to finish my course. What was his course? Preaching. He was driven to preach by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit called him into ministry. The Holy Spirit was driving him, and he had a personal conviction that was driving him. What? To take care of the needs of those that were in Jerusalem. Romans 15.31 talks about that. Would it cost him? Yes. He was reminded by the Holy Spirit and by believers in every port, don't go to Jerusalem, they will kill you. Don't go to Jerusalem, they will arrest you. Don't go to Jerusalem, the Jews hate you. Even on this very journey, we're going to read later in chapter 21, where a prophet named Agabus comes and warns him and says this in Acts 21.4. And after looking up in the disciples, we stayed there seven days, kept telling Paul through the Spirit not to set foot in Jerusalem. Verse 11, And coming to us, he took Paul's belt, bound with his own feet in his hands, and said, This is what the Holy Spirit says, In this way the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him to the hands of the Gentiles. You will be arrested. And you will be handed over to the Gentiles, meaning the Romans, within this. And Paul said, I'm going anyways. I'm going anyways. Why? Because God's driving me to go. I've got to take these resources there and I've got to finish this race. There is an end of the race in many people's lives that you do not look forward to. What is that end of the race? It may be a, a, a terminal disease. It, it, it may be a physical condition that becomes so difficult that it puts you in some kind of bondage or keeps you from moving any, any forward anymore. You can't avoid it. You embrace it. And you move forward with it, knowing that in the meantime, in the day, you're still leaving that legacy, finishing well. What would it say if Paul was to shrink back and say, you know what, I'm not ready to be put in prison yet. And you know what, I'm not ready to be arrested yet. Even though God's calling me to do this and to continue ministering, I'm just going to go find an island in Tahiti and go sit and sip out of a coconut. Paul was leaving a legacy, and his method of leaving that legacy is leaving it all out there for the gospel's sake. And he was going to finish well, which meant crossing the finish line that God had set for him, whatever that finish line is. He, was, he didn't know for sure, but he knew it wasn't going to be good. And he would write to his son in the faith, Timothy, who he sent to Ephesus to teach the elders what they should do. But this is Paul's letter to Timothy in 2 Timothy. 
I fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. With the Lord the righteous judge will award me on that day. And not only to me, note, but also to all who have loved his appearing. That's an amazing statement. As Paul would write that and say, now I know that I'm done. There is no such thing in, in the Bible as retirement. I'm sorry to pop your bubble. But there is no such thing as retirement. There is in the secular world. There is in the business world. You can retire from your job and all of that stuff. But you can't retire from ministry or life. If you're breathing, you're still on the job. You don't get to retire. You say, well, carry I'm old. So is Paul. I'm crippled. So was Paul. I can't do the things I used to do. Fine. Find something else to do. But there is no such thing as retirement when we take a look at the... Well, I take that back. There is one spot. When you die. That's your retirement. And I can tell you the retirement plan is good. Till then... You're still on the job. But leaving a legacy, and one of the things about this legacy means you have to say goodbye. And that's difficult. Paul has to say goodbye to the people that he loves, the people that he cares for. And within that, he needs to break their hearts, which is a hard thing to do. Paul anticipated in his mind he would never see these Ephesian elders again. And so what was he doing? He was literally passing the baton. Keep in mind, as long as Paul was around and seen as a leader, the Ephesian elders would not step up. Right? So what Paul has to do is he has to put a hard line in the sand and say, I am stepping away. You have to step up. Is there a time and place for that in ministry? Absolutely there is. Absolutely there is. Nobody wants a 60-year-old youth pastor. Comes a time when you just can't do it anymore. Pastor Mike took the kids snowboarding yesterday. Bless his heart. <laughs> Not for me. I'm past that, that thing. Would I want to do it? Well, maybe once or twice. Would I pay for it for about three weeks? Yes. Don't want to do it. So I'll do other things. So, so you look at this. And, and so what is Paul doing? He's saying goodbye with them. Now, there is a possibility, probability, that Paul did come to Ephesus a fourth time. When you read the pastoral letters, you see things uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, 3, chapter 3, verse 14, and chapter 4, 13, where it appears that Paul is either planning or, or is, is on his way to Ephesus. Also to Miletus in 2 Timothy 4.20 and to Troas in 2 Timothy 4.13. But Paul had, at this point was saying, okay, this is it. Now, can you say, well, I'm not going to do this anymore. I won't see you anymore and then have God change your plans? Sure you could because you don't know the future. But he needed to know that the, these guys needed to know that they were done. And so Paul left a legacy of teaching. I have given you all of the word I have taught you, I have proclaimed 
to you everything about the kingdom. Verse 25 says, And now behold, I know that all of you among you, I went about preaching the kingdom, will no longer see my face. You have everything that you need to know. And I testify, verse 26, that this day I'm innocent of the blood of men. And you say, well, what is that about? Paul is reaching back to what's called a watchman theme. You know what a watchman theme is? A watchman theme is this. In Ezekiel, and what the role of the watchman was, the watchman was to watch for the enemy coming, and his job was to sound the alarm. That's your job. you got one job. See the enemy coming, blow the horn. Right? That, that's your job. Now, the hearers of the sounding of the alarm, they have a choice. Do I listen to the alarm of the watchman and act, or do I ignore it and just go on about my life, right? I grew up in Southern California where we had lots of earthquakes. And I remember one specifically where uh, we were very young in our marriage, and we had Rachel, our oldest, and it was an earthquake in the morning, and the earthquake happened, and Wendy jumps out of the bed and she grabs Rachel. She was just a baby and standing in the doorway because that was the thing that you needed to do. Get up and go stand in the doorway. Like a doorway is going to help you. Right? So she's standing there. She's holding Rachel. She's get out of bed. It's an earthquake. I'm like, I'm not getting out of bed. That's a little one. You don't pay attention to it. Now, if the roof would have came in on me, she would have been saved with the baby and had a lot of insurance money, and I'd be with the Lord. Paul says, I sounded the alarm by preaching of the word, and I did it fully. Therefore, I am not responsible for the ones that ignored the preaching of the word. I gave them everything I got. That's the legacy. Question, have you given people everything that you got? That you could say you were fully informed and I, I, there's nothing else I can give you? It's on you? I think there's a lot of people that still need to hear. There's a lot of people that still need to know. The legacy that still needs to be proclaimed of the Word of God Paul could stand guilt-free saying, I've done everything. And what he is saying is, now it's on you, elders. To be that one that's faithfully sounding the alarm, to calling people into responsibility. Why? Because the one that's leaving a legacy of ministry is passionately empowering the next generation to take over the work for you. So that you'll be gone. Within that. Lastly, this, this legacy of ministry promotes the leaders to be vigilant shepherds. In verses 28 all the way through the end of the chapter, he goes on and he says this. He changes his tone with an imperative statement. He says, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. That is a powerful statement. He says, not only have I finished well and you have everything you need to know, but now, get your act together. Look at yourself. Be on guard for yourself. Meaning, first and foremost, to be a biblical elder, a biblical leader, you first have to check yourself. 
Guard yourself. Because if your spirituality is corrupted, you will, you're not going to be in any capacity to lead anybody. So he says, guard yourselves. If you allow heresies and lies and falsehoods to come into your life, then imagine how you're going to tolerate the same in the lives of the people that you are leading. You have to guard yourself. And hold to the biblical standard and the biblical doctrine. Don't be drawn away by false teachings and false false heresies, because if you get drawn away, everyone that is following you will also be drawn away. Do we find that in our world today? Absolutely. So the first imperative is to check yourself. Then the second imperative is to understand that your leadership is a spiritual appointment within this. Be on guard for yourselves and the flock amongst which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. God has spiritually appointed you as, as an elder or an overseer. You say, well, wait a minute. I'm not, I'm not an elder in the church. Yeah, you are. Do you have family? Do you have a wife? Do you have children? Do you have people, and I'm speaking to the men specifically, do you have people that look up to you personally as the leader? And the answer is yes. And the Holy Spirit has put you in that position. Why? Because those people were birthed under your authority and in your house. The biblical elder is only selected from those who rule their house well. And if you're not ruling your house well, then how can you rule the house of God? 1 Timothy 3. We need that. Why is the world in such a chaotic mess? Because men are not stepping up and doing what they're supposed to be doing. We need to lead well, men. We need to be in that place where our households are in order. The Holy Spirit is the one that has selected you for that role and appoints for that job. And by extension, appoints them over the church. We know this based Acts 13, 2 and 3. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. And then when they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them, sent them away. In Ephesians 4, 11 to 13, And he gave some apostles, some prophets, and some evangelists, and some as pastor teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Why are we focusing this year's men's retreat on sons of God? For this very purpose. We need to know who we are so we may act accordingly as a son of God. Because the biblical elders are the shepherds over the flock of God. The church does not belong to me. It doesn't belong to the elders. The church belongs to God. The family does not belong to you. They belong to God. You are the shepherd, the under-shepherd. You work under the authority of God to be able to shepherd those and protect, to feed, to nurture. Spiritual leadership, shepherd leadership, is throughout Scripture, starting even with David, all the way into Jesus, who is the good shepherd. We see this motif all the way through. Why? Because the idea is the shepherd is... One is in charge, 
that is taking care of the weak, the vulnerable, the ones that need to be nurtured and cared for and protected. Man, we got to step up. We need to step up and care for our homes and to be those good shepherds. One of the ways that Paul says is to watch out for the heresies. He says in verse 29, he says, I know after my departure, savage wolves will come in from among you, not sparing the flock. Who are the savage wolves that Paul was talking about? These are religious predators. These are the religious predators that will creep into your homes, that will steal away the spirituality of those that are within your house. You've got to watch out for the wolves, the spiritual predators that seek to come into your house. If you were a shepherd and you had a flock, and some cute little wolf wanted to come play with your sheep, would you let him? Oh, he's a cute little wolf. They'll grow up, they'll get along. We'll let the lamb and the puppies, they can, they can, they'll grow together and learn to love one another. It's a wolf. Shoot it. Wolves, though they eat, they kill to eat. They kill for the joy of it. And and, and I'm sorry if you like the little puppy wolves and all of these different things, but there is a characteristic trait that is in a pack of wolves, and I've heard them out in the wild, and there are certain sounds that will set the hair on the back of your neck up. I've been out hunting and heard the wolves. And I heard one over here, and I heard one over here, and I heard one behind me, and I went, oh, this is not good. Why? Because they thought I was going to be dinner. I don't know. You look at this. Paul says, watch out for these spiritual predators. They will come from outside of the church, and they will come from within the church. You elders, watch the outside, but also watch the inside and look for wolves that come up from among you and create what I call a blessed subtraction. Get rid of them. Why? Because they will devour the flock if you let them. Jesus would say in Matthew seven fifteen, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inward are ravenous wolves. False teachers, false heresies, and all of these things. And, and the New Testament is littered with different people who abandoned their faith and came in and were corrupt. And Paul names them by name within this. These false teachers that would come into the early church as they do today. And into our, our homes, into our schools, and all of these places. Matthew 24, 24 says, For false Christ and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders. Note, so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. To draw men away from themselves. In fact, Paul would write this to his son in the faith, Timothy. Mind you, he's in Ephesus, the place where these elders are supposed to be doing their job, and they were doing a poor job, so Paul has to send Timothy there to fix it. In 1 Timothy 4, 1-3, But the Spirit explicitly says, to Timothy, who's in Ephesus reading this, that in latter times some will fall away from their faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of hypocrisy and liars, seared their own conscience as the branding iron, men who forbid in marriage. Do we see that today? 
and advocating and abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared by those who believe and know the truth. Be on alert and guard the church, even to the point of sorrow like Paul did, and don't let sin get a foothold through these false teachers. Is it okay to tell my kids, you can't play with, with this boy because he's a bad influence? Absolutely yes. Is it okay to say, you can't go over to that house because what goes on in that household, we don't accept? Absolutely yes. But Carrie, that's not loving. Oh no, what's loving is this. Invite the kid into your house. Share the gospel in your house. Invite the parents over for dinner in your house. And share the gospel with them in your house. Within this. And be that good leader. Paul finishes by commending these leaders to God. Notice he goes on in, in verse 32. He says, Now I commend you in, to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all the sanctified. I have coveted no one silver or gold or clothes. You know these things I have ministered. What is Paul doing? He's saying goodbye. What is he saying? I commend you to God. I, I, I'm not your leader anymore. I've done everything I can. You're under the authority of God. And you're under the authority of God's Word. I'm stepping away. Now you answer to God directly. I'm getting out of the way. You must stand under the Word of God. I'm getting out of the way within that. And don't forget to continue to help the weak. Galatians 6, 1-2 Brethren, if, any man, if anyone is caught in trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such as one in spirit of gentleness. Each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. We see Paul quoting a statement from Jesus in this. It's not in the Gospels, but it says it's more blessed to give than to receive. Why? Because you're doing the work of God. It's going to be tough. And it's going to get hard as, as we continue to live in this world. But leave a legacy. And, and, and leave that legacy in the next generation. And those of you that think you're retired, get off the bench. Those of you that are not leading well, start leading well. And those of you that look out amongst the opportunities that are afforded to you, be vigilant and guard the flock. And then when you finish, when you finally retire... In heaven, you'll hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you that we can be in this place, God, that we can honor you. And Lord, you are the one that gives us life and hope. Lord, I would pray that we would be those leaders, those that you've called us to be in our homes and in our community. Lord, we praise you and we thank you for the work that you're doing. And I pray that as even now, as we consider these words, we look at them in the context of our individual lives. And the legacy that we're leaving. And when we're gone, may people say, yes, I know Jesus because Carrie led me to the cross. Praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.
spiritual heritage through Jesus. One that will help us through the Holy Spirit. God, this gift that you've given to us of life eternal is not for us to keep, but to pass on to the next generation so that they would pass it on to the next generation. Lord, may we share that gift of life. And perhaps, Father, today there are people that are convicted by, by what they're doing. Or not doing. And they got to do business with you. And if that's you this morning, do business with God. Spend time with Him. And lead well. Lead people to the cross. God, we thank you for our time. As we go out this day and this week, may we honor you with everything that we have. And make you smile. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Praise Praise Jesus. Have a blessed day. Thanks for joining us in the study of God's Word with Pastor Kerry Wacker. We'd love to have you join us in person for worship each Sunday morning at 9 a.m. or 1045 a.m. We also meet Wednesday nights at 630 p.m. 
Warren Community Fellowship is located at 56523 Columbia River Highway in Warren, Oregon, between Scappoose and St. Helens. For more information about Warren Community Fellowship or about WCF Ministries, call us at 503-397-4387. And don't forget to like us on Facebook.